Well, as most of you know, we've been going through the book of Luke. And, you know, I was, as I was preparing my sermon in Luke 19, you may be thinking, we were just in Luke 17. That's what I was thinking, right? And so I was thinking, man, that's great. There's a couple of things I can reference in chapter 18 that would be really helpful. So I'm going to mention them anyway. And you're welcome to turn back and look at them with me if you would like to. But I did want to say, so our, our sermon today is called Zacchaeus Meets Jesus. This is about Zacchaeus' conversion. He is changed forever by this encounter. And we're going to look at what exactly happens and kind of, I guess, just a series of events. And the main point of the sermon, you want to, if you want to get your pens ready, the conclusion and the main point is that the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The Son of Man, Jesus, the promised Redeemer of Israel, came to seek and to save the lost. If you didn't get that, it's verse 10. So you can just look there. Uh, If you want to turn back to chapter 18 in Luke, I'm going to look first at uh, verses 10 through 14, and I'm just going to explain what it is. You don't even really have to turn there. This is where Jesus discusses the Pharisee and the tax collector praying in the temple. And what happens is the Pharisee stands up and he prays, God, thank you I'm not like that man. He says, thank you that I'm a Pharisee. And the idea in this is that he is blind to his sin. It's not that he doesn't have it. It's that he's blind to it. And then the tax collector, he comes in and he won't even look up to the heavens and he beats his chest and he says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus asks rhetorically, who, who do you think was forgiven? And the idea is that even a tax collector can be saved by God with humility and repentance and asking for God's grace. And then if you want to look at 18 through 30, you see the rich young ruler. He comes to Jesus and he says, hey, Jesus, how can I be saved? You're wise. How can I be saved? And Jesus says, give away all your possessions. Now, giving away all your possessions won't save you. That's not the point. But Jesus is pressing in on something in his heart, which is that a lot of times wealth and comfort and ease, those things... They, they have an illusion. It makes it feel like we don't need God. And so this man, it says he went away sad. And Jesus said to everyone there, he said, it's more difficult for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of heaven than for a camel to enter through the eye of a needle. And you're thinking, that's impossible. And that's what everyone said. And then Jesus says, well, with God, all things are possible. And so those things both leading up to this passage... And in our passage, it says that Zacchaeus was a tax collector and he was rich. (laughs) So, if you want to turn with me to Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10, it'll be on the screen, but you can turn there as well. It says this, He, Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass 
that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. And so he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, the crowd, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Let's pray. Father, you are good to us. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit who teaches us these things and applies your word to our hearts. I pray that that would be true this morning. I pray that as we hear the truth of your word, that we would be changed. Work in each of our hearts. Each of us need different things. And I pray that as we hear these things, your spirit would apply to each of us individually the things that we need, that you would grow us and shape us and change us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So, who is Zacchaeus? Well, he was a tax collector. And what does that mean? It means a lot of things. And I want to help us get into the mind of a Jew and even a Roman, the people that are are hearing Jesus preach these things. And so, to the Jews, you have to understand that they're under bondage to Rome, right? That's their oppressor, and they are waiting for the Messiah, Jesus, to free them from Rome. And a tax collector works for Rome. But Zacchaeus is a Jew. And so if you can imagine, I mean, this man is a traitor, right? Not only does he work for Rome, though, but a tax collector is paid a certain wage, and he gets to keep whatever extra he asked for from everyone passing through who he gathers their taxes. And so not, not only is he a traitor, but he's been cheating and defrauding his own people his entire career. And to the Romans, he's probably not even a citizen, but even if he was, he would have to buy it. And so he's kind of a lesser citizen even to them. He's kind of in no man's land, if you will. And the result of a lot of these different dynamics coming together is that there's a lot of social impact and rejection and things like that. And so I I actually gathered a few scriptures that help us to say, this is how the people think about tax collectors. We we just heard in chapter 18, thank you that I'm not like this tax, tax collector. Elsewhere we see, let him be to you like a Gentile and a tax collector. Let him be accursed, unclean, not one of us. Tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom before you. You know, and that's supposed to be like, oh, ouch. All of the tax collectors and sinners were coming to him. And you see tax collectors and sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes and Gentiles, these are grouped together to say, you're not one of us. We don't like you. They were hated, absolutely hated, by the Jews, their own people. 
And so we have to consider that when Jesus was accused of spending time with tax collectors, that sounds funny. He's accused of that. It does it to discredit him. And I think that should give us a window into uh, the whole idea. Just how wicked and treacherous do people have to view you as for someone just to spend time with you and all of a sudden, they're, nope, they're a false teacher. <laughs> He's immediately supposed to be discredited. And with all of that being said, Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. He's the boss. And so to the Jews, he's lesser. And to the, or to the Romans, he's lesser. And to the Jews, he's a traitor and even an enemy of God. Because remember, the Messiah is supposed to free them from Rome. And Zacchaeus is working for Rome. And they hate him. But the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And so, how does God deal with outsiders like, like Zacchaeus? The first thing that happens here in this conversion story is that Zacchaeus seeks Jesus. Look with me at verses 1 through 4. He entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass by that way. I think it's helpful to see that there is some level of shock value written into this story. Uh, you know, we get through chapter 18 with the tax collector, you know, he's bad, and then you see uh, the rich young ruler, he goes away sad because he's rich and it's tough for him, and, you know, rich people can't enter the kingdom anyway, right? Uh, and so you get, you get to this story and it says he was a chief tax collector and he was rich and he was seeking to see who Jesus was. As it builds up, the Jews say, that's three strikes. <laughs> Not only is he a, a tax collector, that's strike one, he's a chief tax collector and he's rich. That's three strikes. So this is a messy situation that Jesus is walking into. What's going to happen? Well, let's look at why Zacchaeus was seeking Jesus. I think we can get an insight into that. Again, remember, Luke chapter 18 shows Jesus essentially say, a tax collector who is humble and repents is forgiven by God. And the Jews all go, he can't be. But that's what Jesus taught. And throughout Luke, we see stories of Jesus embracing the unembraceable, touching the unclean to heal them, spending time with prostitutes and all sorts of people that we would uh, be aghast <laughs> if we were to find that out. And no doubt Zacchaeus had heard these things, right? He's heard, who is, he's, he's hanging out with everyone, even people like me. <laughs> And he probably has even heard whispers that this man might be the Messiah. He might be the one who's going to save us, and he's hanging out with people like me. After hearing these things, he had to, he had to have had the lingering question, well, what about me? I mean, yeah, he eats with other tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes, but what about me? After all, I'm the, I'm the chief 
tax collector. Could he love me? There's a story that we read to Noel uh, often, and she, she loves it. I think it's called Because You're Special or something like that by Max Lucado. And it's a story of this wooden, uh, not puppet, but just a wooden creature named Punchinello. And there, he lives in a whole community of these wooden creatures, and they have this system of social rejection and acceptance where if you do something that people don't like, it could be stumbling over your words, it could be getting in a fight. Anything bad that you do, you get a black dot. But if you do something great, if you're good at singing, if you're good at soccer, it doesn't matter, you get a gold star, right? And, and Punchinello is clumsy, and he fumbles over his words, and he always does the wrong thing. And one day, he's covered in black dots. You, can't even, you can barely even see him, and he meets this girl. Her name is Lucia, and she's also a wooden puppet, and she doesn't have a single black dot. And not only that, but she doesn't even have a gold star. And he says, what's going on here? Why are you the way that you are? And what she tells him is, she says, Punchinello, I need you to go and meet Eli, our maker. And Punchinello is like, uh, I don't understand. But his, his rejection, his entire existence, has in a way led to his longing to be accepted by Eli. And so he hears, well, this guy can change me. He can change my plight. He can get rid of all these, all these demerits. And he goes with her. And he's just thinking, please, please accept me. In the case of Punchinello, and with Zacchaeus as well, he's primed. He's absolutely primed by his rejection and his difficult life to seek after what is the representative for God in the story. He wants to be loved and valued. Like I mentioned before, there is an illusion that comes along with wealth very often, which is that we don't need God. Or maybe we just need to add him in a little bit because it's good for our kids, right? It's good for our kids to go to church and learn to sing, you know, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, So in our story, we see that God was using Zacchaeus' difficult life and his rejection to draw him to himself. So how does God deal with outsiders? Very often he uses circumstances to show them the need for him. Maybe you're like Zacchaeus. Maybe you're thinking of all of the ways that you haven't honored God. You disobeyed You haven't been very nice to your family, your friends, other people. You just think of all the pain that you've caused people. Maybe you're sitting here and you're asking the same question Zacchaeus was asking. Maybe you're asking, could he love me? Could God forgive me? Or have I done too much? Let's remember where we're headed. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost And maybe you're not like Zacchaeus. Remember the irony of the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector in chapter 18. The Pharisee is the religious leader, right? He's the guy who's done it all right. And the irony is that the tax collector is the one who gets to know God. And so maybe you don't identify with Zacchaeus, but in any case, we need to enter with humility. Asking for grace.
So what happens next? Zacchaeus is seeking Jesus. And what happens next? Next we see Zacchaeus meet Jesus. Let's look at verses 5 through 7. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. And so he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He's gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. You have to put yourself, I think, in Zacchaeus' shoes here. He's, he's in a tree, which is dishonoring. If you're uh, an adult male, you don't climb trees in, in Israel. So he's, he's doing this. He's desperate to see who Jesus is. He's frantic. He's thinking, will I even get to see him? I need to hurry up and climb this tree. He's coming. Will he turn? And he gets up in the tree, and he finds Jesus and Jesus is looking straight at his eyes. What is he thinking? He's thinking, all of my life I've dishonored God. I'm a sinner. Everyone hates me. And I'm interested in who this guy is. And he's looking at my soul. You know, he, he just wanted to see who Jesus was. It doesn't say he wanted to talk to him. He wanted to touch him or anything like that. And Jesus, the Messiah, the promised Redeemer, he's coming his way. He's sent from God himself and he walks straight to Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is sitting there and his heart is pounding. He's like, what is he going to say? Is he going to condemn me too? What will he say to me? And Jesus says, I'm going to stay at your house today. Come down. Meet me. We're going to your house. And I think for the first time in a long time, Zacchaeus didn't feel like an outsider, right? He felt loved. And he was. It's important to notice as well the response of the crowd. It says they all grumbled. But weren't, weren't the grumblings of the people warranted? I mean, if you think about who Zacchaeus is, he's a sinner, right? And he's a traitor. He's all of these things. Isn't that true? Shouldn't they grumble? Listen, yes, he is a sinner. He absolutely was. He's not, Zacchaeus isn't a victim here, and I think that that's really important to understand. His sins, I'm not, I'm not here to say, they're not as big of a deal as, as Israel thought. <laughs> no, he is a sinner. He's a liar. He's a defrauder. He's a cheater. He's greedy. He's all of these things. He's short. You know. <laughs> He's not a victim, though. That is, in fact, the point. Not that Jesus dismisses sin and says, it doesn't matter. I love you anyway. No, it's that Jesus says, I want to redeem you from your sin. I want to bring you out from that. Yes, it matters. And that's why I'm here to forgive you and to take those things away. The Apostle Paul who persecuted the church when he was a Pharisee, had people imprisoned and killed. When Stephen was killed, it says that he approved. Hmm. He says that God saved him, the chief of all sinners, in order to show that God can save anyone. That's the point. God can save even you, even me. The crowd was like the praying Pharisee. 
They were blind. They didn't see their own sin. They just saw Zacchaeus and his sin. Now, fortunately, Zacchaeus is kind of enraptured into this conversation with Jesus. He doesn't even, he doesn't even acknowledge what's happening. These people are like, man, I can't believe Jesus is hanging out with that guy. And Zacchaeus probably doesn't even hear them, you know, right beside him. It says that he had joyful acceptance of Jesus. He came down joyfully. That reminds me of a story that Jesus told in the Gospel of Matthew where there's a man wandering around in a field and he stumbles over a treasure and it says that it's worth more than anything he's ever seen, you know. Um, And what does he do? He runs back into town and as quickly as he can, he's, he says, anybody want to buy anything from me? <laughs> I'm trying to get rid of all of my things. Anything that you want from me, you can have it. And he sold everything he owned. He sold, sold his home, his, who knows, maybe his clothing, <laughs> everything. It says everything that he had, he sold. And then in his joy, he goes, sells all that he has, and he buys that field. And what is he going to do with the field? He's just got maybe, maybe the clothes on his back. <laughs> How foolish did he look? He runs into town, running is uh, disrespectful in that culture, and he sells everything he has, and everyone's like, what is this guy doing? But he didn't care. He knew that what he was about to get as a result was worth more than himself being looked down upon or shamed or whatever. It didn't matter. It was worth it. Zacchaeus received Jesus joyfully despite the judgmental crowd and what he'll have to give up, his greed, his comfort, a lot of his money is worth it. Jesus is worth it. So again, how does Jesus treat outsiders? He extends a hand of grace. You may still have the lingering question, could Jesus love me? Could God forgive me, or have I done too much? Well, Jesus extends a hand of grace. Remember, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. You might think, well, won't I lose a lot? And you just heard that story. We read the passage, and Zacchaeus gives away a lot of his stuff. Am I going to lose a lot if I give my life to Jesus? Yes, you will. Jesus demands everything. He lived his life and gave his life for us. A life for a life. He doesn't just demand um, that we include him in our lives. He doesn't just demand a few things in a Sunday once a month or maybe four times a month. We owe him our lives. But the life he gives is better. It's better. Often it's hard, but it's better. And he doesn't just offer eternal life, but a better life. I think we all need to hear that. There are things that each of us don't want to give up very often. We have our pet sins. We have habits. We have all sorts of things that we don't want to give up. Maybe it's our entertainment you know, it doesn't matter what it is. You're probably thinking of something right now that you're thinking, but, but I do like that. <laughs> I do like that show. I like that habit. But a life submitted to Jesus is better. 
It's, it's a more human way to live. It's the way that God designed us to live. So let's see how the story ends. What happens next? Zacchaeus is changed by Jesus. Let's look at the, the last two verses, 9 and 10. Or 8, eight 9 and 10, actually. It says, And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So remember again what, Jesus, or what Zacchaeus was doing. He was, he was a tax collector. He was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, right? I think this, this, last, this last verse is really interesting because what does Jesus say to Zacchaeus? He says that the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And yes, so Zacchaeus was seeking Jesus, but it, we need to ask, what's going on in the background? Jesus is saying that the, only, the reason I'm here, I was born before you sought me, was to seek you. Jesus came to seek Zacchaeus. He came to seek me. He came to seek you. So while Zacchaeus was seeking to know more about Jesus and was being drawn toward him, Jesus makes clear again that the very reason he was born and lived among his people was to seek and to save the lost. His mission always was to seek and to save Zacchaeus and people like him, like me, What does it do? What does it do when Jesus seeks you out and he finds you and he saves you? What happens? Zacchaeus meets Jesus and his life is absolutely flipped on its head. It says that he gave away half of his possessions, which were earned justly, and if he has defrauded anyone fourfold, he's going to repay it back. Which according to the law of Moses, that's well, well more than you need to give back if you've cheated someone. Punchinello arrived at Eli's cottage up on the hill. And what he found is that when he went in the door, Eli was waiting for him. He always wanted him to come. Eli told him, that if you begin to understand that I love you in your mind and I made you, those things will begin to matter less. And the only reason the black dots and the gold stars, the only reason they even stick to you is that you care. And for some reason, Punchinello began to believe him. And as he kind of floated out the door in his head, just... You know, what's going on? Could this be true? What could this mean for my life? Without him even noticing, you see a black dot float to the floor. And as I read the story, I'm thinking, I want two more pages. I want to see his life changed. I don't just want to see the black dot gone. What does it do to him? What do we want to see? What should we see? What should that freedom do for him? We want to see Punchinello go back to his home. And when people mock him, and when people try to put a dot on him, we want him to say, you can't do that to me. 
God loves me. And God loves you. You don't have to rely on approval from other people. You don't have to be accepted by all these people that are like you. You can be accepted by God. You can be accepted by Eli. And for Zacchaeus, fortunately, we get you know, two more pages. We get to see what happens. We see his freedom from his former idols of you know, money and greed, his sins. And we get to see him bless those around him. He showed that he wasn't a slave anymore to his money by giving it away. He showed that he was not living for his own selfishness and greed by blessing those around him with his hard-earned money. He left his sin behind. So how does Jesus deal with outsiders? His grace transforms us. We're changed. What does that mean for us? We leave our sin behind. We repent. Sometimes slowly, but surely. It also means that we are saved for life, like I mentioned before. We are not purchased, we're not merely purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ and his life so that we could not go to hell, so that we could, you know, be taken away to heaven. There's a reason we're still here. What if, what if there were two more pages and, and Punchinello just kind of went to his own home and didn't say a word, lived this life where he accepted the love of Eli and that's it? I mean, that's depressing, right? He has so much power in what he knows. It's depressing. Like him, we have a mission as well. We have a purpose, something to do. We're to bring the kingdom of God to the earth, to the world around us. We're to bring love and justice and peace and righteousness and goodness to the people and the environment around us. So God relates to sinners, to outsiders, by seeking us out, by extending a hand of grace and causing that grace to transform our lives. Again, I think that one of the greatest encouragements we get from this story and from the whole Scriptures is that God saves us for a purpose. We have something to do. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's what we're saved for. And from this passage, I think the primary effect that we want to see is that we who are lost, we can see that the Son of Man came to seek and to save us. He came for us. The prophet Isaiah says that all we like sheep have gone astray. Again, we all are lost. And that's the, that's the pain and the irony of the Pharisee praying such an arrogant prayer. He needs Jesus too. And I think the secondary effect, once Jesus saves us, is that we have a mission. We're saved for something, for life. Our hearts are to be shaped by God to mirror the heart of our Maker. 
we want to see peace and love and justice and healing in the world around us. If God seeks out the lost to extend grace, then we must also, right? So, who are the lost in the sinners around you? Who are they around me? You know, maybe someone is in financial need, but maybe someone needs a friend. Maybe someone needs a babysitter. Maybe there's someone whose, whose life is such a mess that you don't know what to do. Talk to them. Ask, ask them what you can do. We're called to love people. And that includes the truth. It's not enough for Punchinello to just say, I love you, right? That's not what Eli said. And in the same way, we don't just say, you're my friend. (laughs) That's good. We do that. But we go a step further and we say that God made a way for you to be right with him and to reorder your life the way that it should be. So the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. He came for you and he came for me. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful. We're so thankful that you've called us into your family, that you've adopted us. We're so thankful that as Jesus said, he's more than happy to leave the 99 sheep that are in the fold and to go and find the one that's lost. We thank you that you, you came to find us. And not just to find us, but to lay down your life for us. We love you. We're so thankful for you and for your word. And once again, Lord, I just pray that your spirit would apply these things to our hearts, to our minds, and to our lives. Just as the liturgy is to extend outward into our weeks, I pray that these words would extend outward into our weeks and that we would love the people around us and understand that we're loved by you as well. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.